This is Invisibilia. I'm Elise Spiegel. And I'm Lulu Miller. And we're here today because we want to give you a podcast bonus. Lulu went out to report the Solutions show, and she came across this really cool story about this guy who was insane by his own definition, but who no longer believes that he is because of what he calls the greatest scheme of all. This is William Kitt. He's pretty much always been a schemer. Ever since the late 1950s when he was 11 years old. You know, back there in them times, right, everything was in machines, automated, right? But with the, with the machines. Like like cash machines? Yeah, yeah like a, 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 you know, a sandwich machine, a potato chip machine. Oh, you know, yeah. You put the quarters in and shit, okay. right? Well, you could shake it and hit it and, and hump it the right way. And the, and the money comes out. So, so I had around 20 of these machines that I would go on every, every day. I would go around and shake it. Get the money. <laughs> Get the money, right? So, so I, guess, I guess they finally staked out the place for about two months. And, and, and you know, they finally caught me and, and uh, incarcerated me at 11. So At 11 years old? Yeah. He says he was sent to jail for two months. What, what state was it? Colum- Columbia, South Carolina. And seven years later, after moving up to New York City with his mom, he would need to turn to schemes again. As soon as I turned 18, my mom's left, okay. right? And uh, uh, matter of fact, she didn't even tell me uh, the landlord name or a way to pay the bills or nothing like that. She just up. So then, so then did you quickly become homeless after that? or From 18... I, I was homeless from then on up until uh, I was, uh, what, 53? Yeah. And where, like, when you were 18, where did you first start to go sleep? So you couldn't, so you didn't have well, the apartment first, anymore? First we went to uh, uh, Bellevue. They got a shelter down there. Stayed in there for about 10 years. And would you stay in there every night? Yeah, every night, yeah. But eventually... I gave up the shelter. I gave up the shelter, man. I got tired of the shelter. He began sleeping outside. Yeah, I love sleeping outside. <laughs> I mean, I love sleeping outside. You know, that's, that's just, like, that's just uh, the ultimate. And during the day, to pass the time, to get food, money. It just all, it was all about schemes. His schemes had a code of honor, by the way. Never hurt or steal from an individual. You want to rob some rob an institution, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so he ripped off the New York City Department of Sanitation by illegally removing cans from recycling bins. He engaged in mild trespassing to store his belongings, and according to him, he figured out a way to get thousands in extra welfare checks. I was milking the state out of something like uh, about two thousand a, a, a week. How are you doing that? <laughs> I had about 20 identities. <laughs> but if you had 2,000 a week, why couldn't you get an apartment? Oh, I wasn't, you know, you know, I was a drug addict. So the money went to the, to the habit. So, what, you know. And like what kind of drugs? All of it. Everything. You know, heroin, uh, cocaine, uh, pills, uh, crack, LSD. <laughs> and somewhere in there, the voices started. The bad, the bad voices, they say, take that, take that. 
And you be start looking in the dark, trying to figure out what's going on back yeah. there. People in the alley running. The mind can create all types of scenes in your head. A rape scene, a murder scene, you know. It was nothing nice about that. You know, them, them voices was, was, uh, them voices was hell. And it went like this for over 30 years. William Kitt lived on the streets, sleeping on benches or cardboard boxes. The voices only getting worse. Until one day, he decided he'd had enough. That was Christmas, 203. He went to church and said that sitting there, under the arched wooden ceiling. For some, some reason, something happened, you know, it's a, I had a spiritual awakening. I look around the church and saw the faces of the congregations, from the kids on up to the adults. I wonder what they have in their life. Their peace, their calm, the sanity of living under a roof. And if I want something, I'm going to get it. And that's when he came up with the greatest scheme of all. The great escape to get off the streets. See, he had recently learned that there were a bunch of new buildings in the city with classy, shiny apartments available to people with a diagnosis of mental illness. (laughs) So, So I had to act like I was crazy. That's right. William Kitt, who had been hearing voices for decades was going to pretend to be crazy. How would you pretend to be crazy? Oh, I said, man, it's coming out of my fucking head. I can't can't deal with it. And so over the next few months, William Kitt says he began putting on a show for psychologists and caseworkers saying he heard voices. Take that, take that. Or saw things popping out of his head. People getting killed. And? I would accept it right away. So is this, this is your place? Yes. All right. <laughs> he now lives in the Edgecombe, a stunning brick building in Harlem with a clay tile roof, ivy growing up the sides, stained glass chandeliers, a huge backyard. It's one of seven buildings operated by Broadway Housing Communities, which provides supported housing for people with mental illness, funded in part by the state and city of New York. Is that where, do you sit here, you sit in this chair? Yeah, yeah. His apartment is spacious. He has high ceilings, great light, and an easel. He says that since moving in, he has found his calling to be an artist. And now he draws incessantly, pretty much every day. These beautiful portraits of people he meets on the street. How many drawings do you think are in here? Uh, about 400. He says he's completely stopped taking drugs. I didn't bother going to no no rehab program. I just quit. And there's no other way to put this. He just seems really happy. It's called a TAM? Yeah, that's that's an artist TAM, yeah. He says he always walks the street in an artist TAM, which is basically like a giant leather beret. You have to be what you are, right? That's my profession, so I'm going to get me a leather TAM. (laughs) I'm not going to have step. I'm going to go full step. You know what I mean? So I I bought suits and all types. I I let them know I'm a professional. I ain't ain't in the streets no more. And he says that no small part of his happiness, his pride, the skip in his step, (laughs) comes from knowing he did this. I am proud that I made it this far. He schemed his way in. He punked the system. 
right. you know, so that's... Do you, do you think, like, so you said that you kind of faked being yeah. crazy, <laughs> but do you think there was a part of you that, that actually was suffer mentally troubled just from all the drugs and like well, was it completely an act or is there some part of you that well it's it was a complete act because uh, i was scheming you know so he is insistent all the symptoms the voices the delusions he complained about to the psychologist that was all that was all friend so what i mean does that like what do you do with that i mean is that a dangerous thing for him to say uh This is Ellen Baxter, the executive director of Broadway Housing Communities, who says that his spot won't be compromised by saying this out loud because... One does not have to be mentally ill to move into that building. The whole approach to the place is that it's an integrated community. Some mentally ill, some not. That's right. But then she says something more meta. That it's hard to get an accurate count on who is mentally ill in her buildings anyway, because the longer people stay the healthier they get. Exactly. In fact, this is the effect the whole community is founded on, that sane surroundings create saner individuals. It's simple, but once people have a place, a lot of other things fall together. And so when it comes to William Kitt's belief that he is pulling a fast one on the system by taking a spot for an insane person while secretly living as a sane man... Uh... I think it's great. Before I left, I wanted to test this idea out on William Kitt. Did he fake his mental illness, or could he have been healed by his surroundings? But before I could get to any of my questions, he wanted to tell me about the angel. The angel said, I cannot sell until I make the book. It turns out he still hears a voice. The voice of an angel, which tells him that before he can sell any of his artwork, he must publish a book. The angel explained everything to me. He says it's an actual voice that he hears and obeys. The angel comes in and say, go and buy two suits. I go and buy the suits. So I had to ask, how is that voice different than the voices you heard on the street? Listen, the, the, bad, the bad voices was... Uh, uh, it was, it, was, it, was, it was a sickness, you know, it was a sickness. It wasn't a, uh, it was nothing nice about it. The good voice is God's voice, this is, and, and it's angels. Yeah. And you know, and that one just feels... Feel in your heart. <laughs> Sanity, purpose, peace. These things are hard to come by. But whatever you have to do to get them, when you do, you feel it in your heart. Special thanks to Brent Bachman for his help with production on this story. To see a slideshow of William Kitt's artwork, we have a great web exclusive about him. Please visit our website at www.npr.org invisibilia. Or sign up for our newsletter, which will always tell you about cool extra goodies like that. That's at npr.org slash Invisibilia newsletter. Join us in just a couple days for the fourth full episode of Invisibilia. You're going to love it.